On episode 51 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we jump in on all the latest news around West Ham, including Karen Brady's new interview, as well as review West Ham's loss to Sheffield United in heartbreaking fashion. We then talk about West Ham's upcoming game against Everton and touch on all the latest Hammers polls questions. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. Uh, it is episode 51, the first episode in our second half century on the way to 100. Uh, myself, Adam, uh, is here with you today, as well as the usual two, uh, becoming the usual two, Jeremiah. How you doing? I'm good, Adam. I'm just over here jumping out of uh, washers and dryers in the laundry room, so no big deal. We'll get to that. Pipe down, <laughs> pipe down. Uh, Lou, you're also here with us today. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm not doing anything that uh, extravagant today, but we'll see what tomorrow brings. Okay, I like that positivity. Never never can really shut it down entirely. Um, all right, so we are back, episode 51. Uh, we're going to talk, um, I guess, the latest quote-unquote transfer news or lack thereof. We'll look at the Sheffield game to start things off, uh, general thoughts on that, and as well we'll talk about the upcoming match against Everton and give our thoughts as that approaches this weekend. Um, but first and foremost, it's Declan Rice's birthday, and uh, what an assortment of people sending him messages uh, and videos and everything. But I guess Jeremiah, cat's out of the bag. Uh, Jack Wilshire is hiding in laundry machines to scare Declan Rice, who notably now is a screamer when it comes to anything that scares him. First, it's a boat in, in uh, the Mediterranean, and now it's uh, Jack Wilshire in a washing machine. But it rubbed you the wrong way, right? So, so let, let, me, let me hear your thoughts on that. So I get the sentiment behind it. I know we kind of talked about this pre-pod and I get the, you know, it's his birthday. We're going to jump out, make a funny video about it. I, I like the idea of kind of the camaraderie or the friendship that they have, but I don't know. For me, it just all seems like the wrong timing, not so much for Jack to do that, but maybe for the club to kind of jump onto it and throw it out there. To me, it was just kind of, it made me aggravated. It made me, this player, no offense to him, he's a, he's a human being. But, but the amount of money that he's making, and we haven't seen him anywhere, but yet then he shows up and pops up in certain videos like this. Now, I get it. You guys kind of cooled me down. He can't be training <laughs> or locked in a dark room 100% of the time, but I don't know why. It just rubbed me wrong this morning to see this, to see this player that we brought in that was supposedly going to be this maybe hope and change, and it was a hopeful idea, but he's just been kind of sitting around collecting a paycheck, and we haven't seen much out of him. So I, I see both sides of it. But yeah, a little aggravating for me. But still, happy birthday, Declan. Yeah, of course. That's that's the overall message. Lou, you didn't really have an issue with it, I guess, right? I mean, people just, I guess, maybe let me boil this down to this for you, Lou, to, to comment on. Twitter is like the emotional rea- knee-jerk reaction of everybody at all times. No one's ever putting sensible things out on Twitter because that doesn't get clicks and likes and generate outrage. So people who are commenting on this video are basically saying... Um, Oh, look at me! Like I'm hard. Uh, I I care so much about this team. I'm gonna you know jump down everybody's throat. It maybe maybe an overreaction on, on. Are you talking about Jeremiah though, or not? No, I never said any names. Don't point <laughs> the finger at me. Well, I'm just just saying. I, I, I don't know. It's it's maybe that's showing how slow the news cycle is going around West Ham right now. <laughs> uh, did did either of you guys watch the Karen Brady uh, interview? No. no, I was going, I was planning on, well, no, I wasn't planning on lying, but I've seen it popped up, but I didn't bother clicking on it yet. 
she, it's, it's featured on Sky News rather than Sky Sports, which is one thing, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, here's a quote from her. Um, one of the reasons that we're in that league, quote, the Deloitte Money League, is because of the opportunities that the Olympic Stadium has brought us. Um, could there be a more disconnected board with <laughs> their supporters uh, than, than, than West Ham and, and, and their supporters? Like, I don't know. It just seems like there's everyone's crying out on social media, which is the great equalizer when it comes to communication, that this club just needs to wake up and see and not give in to, but like just, just basically see the, the direction of the club that the fans want it to go in, and they just continuously do things like this. Like, Jeremiah, do you, do you get bothered by her commenting on the Olympic Stadium when, realistically, no one's talking about the Olympic Stadium right now because we all want to know who these quote-unquote bundle of players West Ham are going to sign this window as uh, from the mouth of David Moyes? Yeah, correct. I think everyone's interested in that. And you're right. There's not a more, I guess, a disconnect. I, I haven't seen a more disconnected bunch between the owners and then the actual fan base slash players. Um, just like Bass said a couple of weeks, it's kind of a circus. It's kind of run. It's crazy how it's run. It's crazy that everybody, you know, even if you're not a uh, West Ham follower, if you're just a, a follower of the EPL, they recognize it. They see how kind of ridiculous it is. And it's just it's a, you want to laugh at it away, but it's also kind of like it, it, it's painful too. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, Lou, do you think that there's you know a disconnect, or, or what are your thoughts on the disconnect between Karen Brady and you know little media spurts like this and the supporters? Oh well, yeah, she only pops up every so often, but whenever she does, it's just not worth listening to. <laughs> and if you do listen to it, you just get angry because it's just constant sound bites, like you say. No one's really talking about the Olympic Stadium at the minute. And it's like she's like four years on. She's still trying to sell it to the fans, even though, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has a, their own opinion on it by now anyway. Like, and she's just really deluded. And in terms of what direction she thinks the club is going and what, you know, they've actually delivered since we've moved to the stadium and uh, someone I think someone on Twitter said the only uh, comparable owner in the Premier League right now is Mike Ashley but the difference being is um, Mike Ashley is well aware that he's not pumping money into Newcastle and he's pretty open about it but our owners gloss over the fact that they're not putting money into the squad that they should be and they genuinely believe they're doing a good job of it so yeah, the certainly disconnect between the owners and Karen Brady and the fans, and for as long as there's that disconnect, you know, the club will, you know, it'll never be whole in a sense. Yeah, and I think if if supporters never heard from Karen Brady again, it would be too soon, uh, and that's the general sentiment around her and her thoughts and her quote unquote business savvy and like you can you can say what you will about. Karen Brady as a business lady, a business person, and, and same with the, the the Davids. They all have a strong business background, a strong net worth behind them. Uh, I think Sullivan was $1.15 billion was his net worth, and, and gold was in the 600s of millions or something like that. So that that's unbelievable. That takes you know business savvy and skill to get to that point. The problem is when you try to run a football club like a business – you're never going to succeed at a football level because you're prioritizing things and making decisions that are good business decisions that don't necessarily benefit the team. 
a, sort of a dichotomy on this issue would be um, a hammers pulls question that that kind of conjured this thought up in my mind. Uh, 22 minutes ago, as time of recording, uh, 154 votes on this question and is is it time West Ham move Lanzini on and 69.5% nice say uh, yes they should and for me a, a, a good balance between business and football club is pretty simple if you move Lanzini and he has the injury hasn't looked the same ever since I think you could probably get around 30 million for him if you find the right suitor and you don't rush a deal mm-hmm. um, if you if you sell him for 30 million and spend that money and reinvest you could even split it into multiple positions or you know say you know we generated 30 million dollars profit on this we're going to we're going to take 5 million pounds and we're going to invest that in rush green to make it a world class training ground to match our quote unquote world class stadium there's transparency there there's investment in the club there and that makes sense if they did something like that you would almost you know that would be a drop in the bucket but it would be a positive step uh, to repairing the relationship between the supporters and the club because there's just been a lack of transparency when it comes to business over football operations. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that. And I mean, we've never really seen it. Is it the transparency? We've never seen the openness and kind of like the only communications, like you said, we only get are these kind of when they come out every once in a while and make a comment that's just oblivious to whatever's truly going on. It's uh I mean, it's a change that, that needs to happen, but I don't know, dude. I don't know if it's actually going to actually happen. You wonder what the what the tipping point's going to be with the owners and the board. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, Lou, do you think that there's, you know, there's a lot of tension right now. People are calling for protests uh, and actually not calling for them. They're organizing and there will be protests yeah. at the Everton match. Do you think that there will be a breaking point where the club just sort of say like, okay, we hear you. We're, we have to make changes. You know, here's our plan. I mean, we thought that was going to happen after, you know, the fan invaded the pitch in the 3-0 loss to Burnley a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. where it looked like the club thought, you know what, we'll start to invest and pump money into the club. And, you know, we got a, what at the time we thought was a, you know, world-class manager with, you know, big signings, Anderson, Yarmolenko, etc. But after that, they just completely stopped again and carried on at the normal level. Now, if you want to grow as a club, you need to do that consistently and not just every, you know, very sporadically every, you know, three or four years or whatever. Because you're just going to stagnate while everyone else is progressing. Look at Leicester. You know, they're recruiting well. They, They actually invest money into the club, into the academy, into the training facilities, and they're reaping the rewards. Whilst we, like I say, we did it a couple of years ago and we've not done it since. And to, like I say, to grow as a club, we need to just do it on a consistent basis. Now, whether they supposedly, you know, cave in again and actually listen to the fans, that's another question. Um, Because... you know, how stubborn our board is, especially David Sullivan. And you'd, you'd like to think that maybe maybe there's something uh, that can be said for the younger generation getting older and, you know, um, taking on more responsibility with the women's team, but also, you know, probably in the ear of their father now that... Um, now, now that Husilios is gone and, and Pellegrini's gone, because I think that that was a... I think maybe the worst thing that could have happened for West Ham was 
the club giving the reins to the Pellegrini regime and having it fail because now they grab them back and say, that didn't work. We can't do that again. And mm. you, you don't want it to be a regression now that they've done that and it, and it blew up in their face and they're paying. Karen Brady said that, like, you know, we're paying a lot of money because we took a, we took a gamble and it didn't work and we're paying money to, to basically have nothing right now. Um, so you never know what, what that really entails for the future of the club and their willingness to do that again. Um, I have a question for you guys. I wrote a I wrote an article on Green Street Hammers about David Moyes making his first blunder as West Ham manager in his second stint. Uh, and to boil it down, this was basically uh, opting for Lanzini over Pablo Fornells. And it's a question I, I want to ask you guys and see if you have different opinions on it. Uh, Lanzini desperately, and let me sorry contextualize it here, editorialize the question first. Uh, Lanzini. And Moyes worked well together in their first stint. Moyes essentially played eight defenders and then Lanzini and Arnautovic on top of them. And the way it worked out was they kicked the ball up to one of those two. They played off of each other and got a goal on the counterattack and West Ham stayed up. That was basically David Moyes' first stint as manager. He's sticking with Lanzini, or at least he did against Sheffield, which we'll get to as well. Do you think that there's an importance to, to rely on players... Uh, based off of past relationships and that trust and you know the the sort of repaying of trust that they get, had in you with trust in them do you think there's a value in that or do you think David Moyes should be a little bit more objective when it comes to his first team basically because Lanzini was was selected over Pablo Fornells Jeremiah I want to come to you first here and, and have your thoughts on that yeah I mean Adam I think it's a bit of both I think that you know he has to rely on past relationships and he Lanzini's one of the players that was there Lanzini Noble and a couple other guys were there and I'm sure they got to know each other well and he probably wants to build off of that and, and you know give the give the right and I guess maybe the the chance to see if Lanzini can turn things around but also looking at objectively this is a big match probably his biggest match coming since coming back it's on a away ground you have four now's that's playing lights out that's playing he's finally kind of getting his feet under him and playing well defensively, playing well on the attack, and you take him out, and then you don't bring him back into what? I think like the 86 minute. The 86 minute. Um, yeah, I think that was a huge blunder, and I completely agree with what you said. But I do think it's still both. I mean, he has to build on those relationships because he's still building the current ones with all the new players that he has now that he didn't have before, and he's got to kind of work on the, the past ones to help grow those new ones. So. It's a tricky fine line, but that's what he gets paid for, and that's why he's the manager. But I, I do agree. I think it was a mistake. Lou, any any thoughts on, on that loyalty versus objectivity when it comes to team selection? Yeah, I think Jeremiah summed it up pretty well. I think while Lanzini was one of Moise's better players when he was first manager, he needs to look at the situation objectively, like you say. And... Nobody would argue that he's been at his best this season or since he came back from his injury last season. Mm-hmm. And like you say, Fennell's is finally starting to hit the ground running and is, you know, not just in terms of stylistically, but physically he's getting matched up, you know, for Premier League encounters now. Uh, something which Lanzini has failed to do for a while now in terms of you know, competing physically with strong Premier League midfield uh, midfields, just as we saw last Friday against Sheffield United. He got easily pushed off the ball. Uh, he 
was kind of bottling 50-50s, whereas Funnels, while it took him a while to adjust to that kind of physical level, he really does put uh, a shift in and gets stuck into every tackle. Even if he doesn't come out of it, he does try his hardest to win the ball. And so in terms of that, yeah, I think at the minute you've just got to go with Fanals, despite, you know, Moise's previous history with Lanzini. And hopefully, you know, I'd like to see eventually maybe Lanzini and Fornals in the team. They look so good together in pre-season. And I'm sure, given practice and time, that they uh, could link up well. But obviously, with us in this situation that we find ourselves in now is not the greatest of times to experiment with that kind of thing yeah that's a fair assessment and you also wrote an article for green street hammers about lanzini and and quote-unquote the jewel uh losing its luster and cracking a little bit based on his recent performances and i thought you highlighted perfectly what his what's missing with him and you specified that he's not the fastest player, but he has that bit of explosive acceleration when he would turn with the ball in the middle of the pitch, and he yeah. would lose defenders around him or midfielders around him because he had that dynamic uh, kind of game-breaking, I don't know, switch that he could flip almost. And I thought exactly. you, you identified that really well, and, and that's what we've been missing when it comes to those link-up players, right? Exactly, yeah. <sighs> that's, well, so Sorry, go on. Uh, no, yeah. Any any final thoughts there on on Lanzini, gentlemen? Um, yeah, I just it's just really disappointing to see how he is playing because I, I summed up at the end of the article because one of the disappointing things is we know how talented he is and we know how good he can be. So, and it's the fact, it's that fact that makes us so disappointed in his performances because if if we knew. He was lacking in talent and didn't really have a future, you know, here at West Ham. Then we'd just let it slide a bit more. But we just want him to do well and get back to his former level that we were so impressed with. Jeremiah? Yeah, no, I think it's, um, you guys summed it up well. And it's, I mean, his result and I guess his performances, especially against Sheffield, kind of, they leave you with this whole kind of disappointing feeling. And um, it's, it's tough to come out of because you want to see him do well. We got a song uh, chant after him, and I mean, he's just—he's loved by this fan base so much that it's hard to see him go. But yeah, it's—it's it's just a big disappointment currently, and you want to see him do well and come back. But I still don't know if the light's there. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment on that. And and with that, I think we should we should jump over now and let's talk about. Uh, West Ham's latest match against Sheffield United. Handball gate, as we're all, I'm sure, thinking about uh, <laughs> calling it here. Uh, Lou, were you at the match for this one? No, I wasn't. I okay. had to watch it on TV like the rest of us. I think I think uh, George was uh, a contributor at Green Street uh, Hammers here. So uh, it would have been cool to have his perspective there because, um, you know, Sheffield United are proving a really resilient, tough to break down, hard, you know, hard to play against, well-drilled team. Uh, and it's it makes you know it, it makes complete sense when you look at their manager and their structure. They pack the midfield. They play that wing back system, um, like West Ham are trying to do, but they play it with such relative ease because of how familiar they are with it. So uh, they're sort of it sounds silly to say, but it's something for West Ham and West Ham supporters to look forward to playing like because you hope that that's what you know West Ham will be hard to break down, hard to score against. 
Uh, and it's even harder when you have a ridiculous handball rule that comes in and, and rules out your stoppage time equalizer. Lou, uh, I assume you were as heartbroken as the rest of us. I think we were all talking online afterwards saying, I think you specified saying that you felt sick afterwards. Uh, <laughs> I probably did use that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh, maybe more colorful language. But yeah, go go into your reaction to that and just sort of your thoughts on, on the rule and how it was applied. Uh, wow. I don't know. I, had, I probably had about 10 different emotions going through <laughs> me at once. All negative, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I was just obviously... I don't think anyone realised what happened at first when they were checking for the VAR decision. I presumed uh, Snodgrass might have been close to being offside and then when it showed he wasn't, I thought, oh, that's it then. We're good. And then uh, the handball thing came up and uh, instantly I I knew the new, you know, stupid rule and I just instantly knew it was going to be chalked off. So, yeah, there was that. And then, so... Technically, by the rules, they got the decision correct. But, uh, like you say, it's an abomination of a rule. And it should have never been brought in in the first place because it's just so hypocritical in when it comes to, you know, the rest of the handball rules. Like, that wouldn't be a handball in the opposition box, but it is when it leads to a goal. It just It's just not consistent. And... You know, I think we were very hard done by. Yeah, I I agree. I think that if you objectively look at it from... If you objectively look at this rule from a footballing perspective and you say, oh, like, uh, you know, if there's any handballs, accidental or not, that may lead up to a goal that gets removed, there's so many red flags that should pop up in your mind that are what-ifs and situational things that happen. And we've seen it every time it's been applied. It's been a, well, the ball deflected up. Well, it bounced off ahead. Well, the player couldn't do anything. Well, there was no intention there. Well, he didn't even face the ball when it happened. Well, you know, he made two passes afterwards and then it went in. There are so many red flags that should have popped up. And the fact that nobody caught it shows how unprepared the league was for, you know, adjusting the rules and and adding in, uh, you know, VAR to help police the league but it's just sort of a ridiculous sentiment Uh, jeremiah what were your thoughts on on the goal and the handball rule itself as well well i think most of my thoughts were heard by the uh, twitter world as i was accidentally logged into uh our twitter profile (laughs) instead of my own and uh for that i apologize a few choice words but uh justified words though yeah justified but disgraceful i think is, is a good way to put it i think you said it you perfectly lou but Going back to the play too, when that actually happened, that was well, that was still up the pitch. It wasn't quite midfield, but he wasn't anywhere close to the box yet. And I mean, it hit off of him, went off the player. It happened long enough that didn't even realize it really happened, you know. So it happens. The pass goes beautiful. Pass played into Snodgrass. Beautiful ball goes right past the keeper, like we all mentioned. I'm running around the house. I'm at home, uh, babysitting two sick kids. They're running around the house. We're all running around the house screaming. They don't really know why they're running around the house, but they're just doing what I'm doing. And then I come back to the TV, and there it is, the VAR, the dreaded VAR handball check. And you almost kind of know. I think Declan said it in the interview. I don't think there's been any or very very few um, handball decisions that's been turned around Um this season so it was kind of like you saw it you almost knew it was going to happen just kind of patiently dreading waiting for that call but yeah just kind of disgraceful it's a dumb call it's the rules are a lot of people are saying they're black and white and they kind of are but 
if you read into them a little bit, you can see that there's a lot of gray area there too. And it's, I don't want to go as far as saying it takes away the joy from celebration, but it kind of does. I mean, you saw, you know, if you saw the pictures going around Twitter of the fans, just limbs everywhere. Yeah. And, and then that, that instantly goes away and you have the, the Sheffield fans cheering because of the VAR and the, the players cheering or and vice versa. So it's, it, it definitely does take away from the game a little bit. It's a call that has to be, um, it has to be changed. Something's got to be done with it. I don't, doesn't go hand in hand with VAR because I think a lot of what VAR has done has been okay. I mean, yeah, there's been some skeptical offsides things in the handball situations, but that rule itself is is a farce. I think the issue with VAR when this uh, when this rule is applied comes into um, how VAR could be used to look into the situation further. And uh, there were screenshots going around of the Premier League rule book on the handball rule. There's actually two rules, um, and they both contradict with each other. Uh, the one that people are, are really harping on is that the referee has the ultimate decision to overrule any handball, any ha- any application of the handball rule if he could determine that it didn't affect play or you know there was no intention, blah, 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 blah. The basic verbiage was the referee has leeway to on the decision to, uh, to either enact the handball rule or not. And because the referees aren't using the pitch side uh, monitors like they use at the World Cup and like they use across mm-hmm. Europe, which provide the refs a time, you know, a little bit of time to not be in the heat of the moment to step back. They go look at something, slow it down, have a conversation about it, and it allows them to contextualize what happened a little bit better. Um, I don't think that that Declan Rice's handball affected the play. Even people say, "Oh, well, it dropped down in front of him." After that, the ball was headed into his chest and then into his arm, so the ball had forward momentum anyways off of him. It would have been in front of him regardless. And I have all the faith in the world that he could adjust six inches to straighten the ball out and get it to Snodgrass. Um, but again, we could harp on this all day, and lots of people have. Um, Lou, I'll come back to you here. Yep. West Ham set up in a very interesting formation in this match. Uh, maybe formation isn't the right term, but team selection is what I'm actually looking for here. Uh, Fabianski's in goal. We'll come to that in a second. Cresswell was selected over Issa Diop as left back. Manuel Anzini, as we already mentioned, was selected ahead of Pablo Fornals. And, of course, Pablo Zabaleta was on the right-hand side. But also we saw the likes of Jeremy uh, Ngakia and Bernardo Rusa, as well as uh, Rosa, I believe is how you pronounce it, as well as Goncalo uh, Cardoso on the bench. Three under-23 players and regulars for the under-23 team. Um, were you shocked by maybe Albion Jetty not being on the bench, Carlos Sanchez, who's you know been a fixture bench warmer for us, as well as Diop and, and Fornells not coming into the team? Yeah, regarding Sanchez and Ajeti, I can only assume... You know, they've either got a minor injury or or Moyes just hasn't been impressed with them in training enough for him to give them that chance on the bench and mm-hmm. he's been more impressed with the under-23s. So we were looking very thin on the bench. and But we've already been through the lanzini Fanals, you know, situation. I think we're all in agreement that Fanals should have started. And uh, But I think Moyes, you know... He, no one really wanted to see Zabaleta, you know, in a game like this, but I don't think he really had any other options with obviously Fredericks being out. Uh, I think Johnson's still injured, so the, there wasn't really much choice. Uh, in regards to the rest of the team, I can see why he went with Cresswell, because we did 
try to fluctuate the formation throughout the game and he was finding himself in left-back and left-sided centre-back, which I think Issa Diop would have struggled with moving into that left-hand side role, uh, getting up and down the pitch, uh, supporting Masuaku in those situations. So, And obviously Cresswell played that position last time he was here and he actually did... Uh, you know, a really good job in my opinion. So I can see why he trusted them, him, like he did so with Lanzini. But for the Everton match, uh, maybe he'll think twice about it uh, and, you know, opt for something new and something, you know, that he doesn't just have to, you know, rely on because it worked for him last time. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that application there, and, and hopefully the dynamic learning of Moyes, as you mentioned at the end there, will be something we see and get, can get used to uh, this year. Jeremiah, thoughts on the team, maybe the youngsters as well, getting a look in? Yeah, it was exciting to see the youngsters get a look in, I think. and It did make us look thin, but I think it definitely uh, maybe projects a little bit of uh, what Moyes is thinking. You know, he went out to the, uh, the Premier League 2 match whenever our youngsters beat uh, Man United side. And I think he obviously saw what he liked on that. Um, but it was exciting to see. I kind of hoped to maybe see, you know, one or two of them come in. And I think they probably would have if we were up towards the end of the match. But yeah, the formation was trippy. I was trying to write a, uh, a, <laughs> a pre-match piece about it. And I didn't really know if it was three at the back, five at the back. If there was four or what was really happening. Cresswell but, really threw a wrench in that Yeah, form. he really, really threw it out. Yeah, I didn't know what to think, but... <laughs> All in all, they did a you know, decent job of, you know, I guess what I'll put is that Moise is trying to adapt to the match and what's happening. And that's something that we haven't seen um, with Pellegrini at all. So he went there with the idea. It didn't really work. Uh, but that's kind of what we're going to see over the next few matches. That's what we saw from Moyes when he first came in. You know, the first, what was it, five or six matches were very great uh, with him there. And then all of a sudden kind of turned it on and things started working his way. So it's going to take time. Um, I think Brawley said it best on the uh, West Ham Way USA pod is now we're kind of we're in this mode of now we're kind of like fighting for our lives, so to speak. I, don't, I think the idea, you know, at the beginning of the season, the idea of top six was there and now it's it's obviously not there and it's not even a, a potential. But now we're fighting for kind of just where we have to finish and finish as high as we can. So looking at it, the formation and kind of the play of it, it, it I guess made sense, but unfortunately it just didn't work out. Yeah, and let's get to maybe the biggest bit of news in this match, uh, the Lucas Fabianski injury. Um, I <laughs> I just was completely deflated when I saw him waving to the sidelines and then laying down. Uh, same hip, same potential injury. The scans apparently said two weeks uh, is what they're looking at with him, um, but I don't know what to think of that. Uh, I wouldn't put it past the club to basically just – lie to the to the to fans to sort of keep him on side because if you tell them he's going to be out four weeks expectations come with that and i don't know if they're really willing to accept those right now so um two weeks is the the idea but his his backup david martin came in david martin i'm good enough to be a premier league goalkeeper and he slams the ball past balbuena Right to, I don't know who intercepted the pass there or received the gift, I should say. Uh, slots it over to Ollie McBurney, who almost makes an absolute mess out of a gifted goal and put, put it underneath uh, Martin. Uh, Jeremiah, just take me through the emotional roller coaster that it is <laughs> being a West Ham fan when things like this happen. Yeah, same as you. You saw it happen. You saw the uh, 
I saw him do the kick and immediately put his hand up and hold the left leg. And I thought the same thoughts. My word, this is it. We're done. Luckily, I was excited. Luckily, that Martin was on the bench and not Roberto. Because yeah. if Roberto was on the bench, it would, it would have been four nil. But um, yeah, you know, almost not quite immediately. Decent first half. Not a lot of. Was there any shots at all? I'm not really sure. But um, yeah, decent first half by Martin. At least he stayed in there, and the defense really backed him well. That was for sure. Balbuena got in the way of a couple different shots that um, would have been tough probably for him to say but you know like you said second half rolls around bad pass and you i mean almost like you said all mcburney almost gave it up i mean it was a, a terrible shot i guess for all of the measures looking at it but yeah just having to go right underneath martin and you know the mood the idea the thought of winning was completely gone after that and and putting that with the just the lack of play and the lack of performing, I guess, was just a bad combination. And yeah, the roller coaster is back, and the excitement we had last week after two wins was completely back down to earth. Yeah, and that was basically my sentiment as well. Um, Lou, I want to get your thoughts on this. I feature on a podcast called Stairway to Seventh, uh, which talks about all of the teams outside of the traditional top six. Uh, and the Sheffield United supporter. Uh, who features on that for the Blades, said basically he talked his entire segment on Robert Snodgrass being a potential, uh, being a, a very realistic and in this match potential uh, Sheffield killer because I think he's played him four times and he has two goals and two assists and almost had a third goal uh, and suggested that Sheffield just buy him so they don't have to face him anymore. Uh, and that was a lot of that was in the championship last season, but um, he, he had the potential winner there. Uh, just what were your general thoughts on the game, the effort level, the, the rate of play, and if there was anything positive the, the club could take from that? To be honest, I was not as critical of the performance as quite a lot of you know the fan base were. Uh, I'm not saying it was a vintage performance, but uh, I don't think the effort or application was that bad. I think we... We did create enough opportunities to at least get a draw out of the match. You think of some of the sitters we missed. I mean, Anderson in the first half. Obviously, we didn't create that ourselves, but he should be burying that one-on-one with the keeper. And yeah. after his goal the week before, you thought he would be high on confidence, but that clearly wasn't the case. And uh, what probably annoyed me even more, the Lanzini chance in the second half, which oh. was also a mistake by the Sheffield United player. Where, you know, with a quick, quick uh, train of thought, he could have just slipped Haller in for a tap-in, but he decided to dilly-dally, and then when he finally got the chance to shoot, it was straight at the keeper, as, you know, his angle had been closed down. Then, uh, obviously, the disallowed goals, because obviously Haller had one disallowed from a, you know, exquisite Snodgrass free kick when he first came on. And the... Uh, like I say, overall, it wasn't a great performance, but I do think we did enough to get at least a draw out of the match. And I don't think Sheffield and Sheffield uh, United were particularly great either. So it was two pretty average performances, in my opinion, going up against each other. And I think a point to Beast would have been fair enough. But, you know, we do have to improve uh, if we want to beat Everton, who are. You know, despite not playing amazing, they are getting results at the minute. And obviously, it's at the London Stadium, our first game back since the 4 0 win against Bournemouth. 
So hopefully we can t- take that, you know, positivity into the Everton match and, you know, practice our finishing. Yeah, and let's hope there's no more pitch invasions in this one because it could be an opportunity for some positivity, but who knows how that'll play out. Um, All right, we are going to take a quick little break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about West Ham's upcoming match against Everton. All right, we are back for part two of the podcast here, and we're talking about uh, Everton, the Toffees, coming over to the London Stadium. Uh, Everton's recent form, three wins, one loss, one draw on their last five. Pretty solid for them. Uh, They've had a a really solid look and turnaround since uh, Ancelotti took over, uh, which is not to be really, not really a surprise. He's a a class manager. Um, Now, something we can say about Everton is that they are a team who West Ham can beat. Uh, they're not top tier. Their, their talent level is fine. Uh, they have some game break ability. Their defense is, is a little bit worrying, and, and Pickford can, you know, he's been known to have a, a bit of a challenge against West Ham, uh, specifically Mark Noble, uh, bang on volleys, buff the post and in. Uh, wait, was that was that Lever- Leicester or, or Everton? That was Leicester. Oh, Leicester, damn. Schmeichel. <laughs> nah, either way. So, so, Schmeichel's a better keeper, and, and he, he struggles with Noble, so we'll take that. Uh, anyways, Everton uh, are a team that West Ham can beat. Uh, the odds right now have it as a pretty even one. West Ham favored 33%, Everton favored at 39 and a draw at 28 so you'll, you're hard-pressed to find a, a closer pick match than this one. Uh, Jeremiah, do you think there's a reason for positivity to come back to the London Stadium uh, as West Ham look to to get on a roll again? Yeah, you know, you guys know me. I'm a pretty optimistic person, and even though West Ham tries to bring me down on a daily basis, I think that there's still room for it. Now, I'll say that, you know, last week we kind of looked at the predictions, and I, I thought we'd beat Sheffield and draw this match. Obviously, we didn't beat Sheffield. I still think we're going to draw this match. I think we'll get you know, a result, but we're not going to get three points. Um, But the positivity is there. Moyes, we're going to keep getting this quote unquote new manager bump. And I think that every time every match he goes out, he gets to see more from the players. And he's definitely a manager as we saw with formations, as we saw, you know, previously. And what we've already talked about is he's going to change things around based off of who is playing. If you're, you know, if you're out there with more pace and more heart, he's going to play you. If you're, you know, going to be a better fit, hopefully against that side, he's going to play. So I think the positivity is there. We are home. The last time out at home was good, even though it hasn't been good all season. Um, we have to kind of start fresh and look now with Moyes. Like, what does it look like now? Moving away from the Pellegrini era, giving him more time with the players away from that, and, and you got to give the players a little bit, of, I guess, time too. I mean, the the negativity was definitely all around the club with Pellegrini. The probably the lack of, you know, motivation and training, lack of motivation of playing, you know, just knowing if you if you're working for a company and you know that your your boss is going to get fired, you're probably not going to be out there like, yeah, I'm really going to be working hard for this guy. So now that's changed the whole mindset over, you know, we're 3 games in, two premier game, yeah, two premier league games in. So I think that the positivity is still there and this is definitely a side that we can perform well against regardless of their kind of um, good form as of late. So yeah, I think positivity is still there, but it'll all depend. I mean, if something bad happens from the start, especially with the protests and everything else that's going to be happening, this has all the potential for another Burnley match from a couple of years ago. Yeah, the powder keg is full. Uh, I do want to say that, you know, there there's this... There's this sort of narrative that the protests mean that the the players are going to be negatively affected. A lot of a lot, if not all of the uh, protests that I've seen, have basically said prior to the game, 
be loud, be proud, you know, make your voice heard. But once the game starts, get behind the manager and the players, and that tends to be what the uh, you know the the protesters want to do. Make it known prior. Uh, you know, be loud and proud, whether it's chanting or whatever at the board, but support the players on the pitch. They don't have a problem with the players, really. I mean, effort can be here and there, hit and miss. Uh, and, you know, Moyes may not have been the manager they wanted, but he's the one we have now. So support them, try and get a result out of them there. Uh, Luke, two-part question for you here. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think Brighton are a stronger defensive team than West Ham right now? Brighton? Yes. Why Brighton? Uh I asked the questions here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd take over from it. Uh, Brighton. Um, wow. Uh, I don't. I have not really been thinking that much about Brighton to give an honest answer. Okay. What's the? I, I'll, what's the uh, I'll continue on here. Do, the, do you think Matt uh, Ryan's a better keeper than uh, David Martin? Yeah. I okay. mean. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean. David Martin is obviously only our well number was our number three, and he wasn't even meant to play any games. Okay. And uh, Ryan's been performing in the Premier League for a couple of years now to a decent standard. So, uh, Brighton played Everton and lost one nil to them. Richarlison scored in the thirty eighth uh, minute. See where that's going. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and the, Everton had fourteen shots, six of which were on target. I foresee this as a potential disaster for West Ham, who I don't think are as settled defensively as the likes of Brighton, who, who play a, a pretty uh, well-drilled team game under Graham Potter. Um, and I think that we could see, certainly on the counterattack with you know the, their lineup in this one here, uh, Sidibe and Digne are fullbacks that like to get high. Bernard, Walcott, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, uh, those are four out-and-out attackers. And as well, you have Gilfie Sigurdsson pulling the strings in, in the midfield. Uh, and then you look on the bench, they have the likes of Moise Keane. Uh, really, Moise Keane is the only offensive injection that could happen there. But um, y- y- they have a lot of firepower in this match. And, and I don't know if I'm convinced that West Ham can stay hard to beat if that makes any sense are are you like jeremiah trying to look at the positives with everton coming over here um well if you described walcott as a you know part of the firepower to any evertonian then they'd laugh in your face to be honest but as it's against west ham i agree because yeah there you go come on there's context to all this you know, he's got a pretty good record against us as most, you know, pretty yeah. unprolific otherwise strikers do. <coughs> but, uh, back. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I think... I think we've, we have looked, you know, better defensively since Moyes came in. It's been three games, obviously, but we've conceded one goal. And I think, in general, our defence has improved and we've not really leaked too many chances. You know, especially compared to what we were doing under Pellegrini. So, I think we can restrict Everton to a certain degree, but I do worry about a couple of the players. You know, yeah, you say Richarlison. And uh, I don't know if Bernard will play, but he gave us a tough time last last uh, time we played Everton at Goodison. 
gave Martin a tough time. Or Roberto, sorry, a tough time. Yeah, it was Roberto. <laughs> Everybody gave but, him uh, a tough time. <laughs> I think it'll be I think it'll be an end to end match and I think both teams will cre- create uh chances and I think it'll come down to whoever has the finishing boots on, on the day and if like I say, we we have our shooting boots on that we did against Sheffield United, then we'll most likely come unstuck because we probably won't keep a clean sheet. <sighs> I, I, I fear you're right. Um, now, Jeremiah, I don't want to step on your toes because we, we always have our predictions uh, come out in a, in a weekly piece about uh, you know match predictions, score predictions. But, uh, Lou, we'll, go ma- we'll come back to you here first. Do you think West Ham get a win? And if so, do you have a score line in your head? Yes. Well, last week we said how many points will we get against Sheffield United and Everton, and I predicted three. And it was a narrow <laughs> loss to Sheffield, and I said I think we'll beat Everton, so I'll stick with uh, three points against Everton. Wow. And I think we will win uh, 3-1. Love it. Wow, what a win. Okay, wow. I- I'll go next. I'll let, I'll let uh, Jeremiah bookmark or bookend this one. Um, I I like a two-two draw on this one. Uh, I think goals are gonna be there, but I don't know how or why. So I, I I'm just that pretty hoping, much sums us up. Yeah, I I don't know. I got tired of watching nothing happen in the Sheffield game. So uh, despite David Martin's attempt to ignite some offense just for the wrong team, I will take a, a two-two draw, and, and I'll bite your hand off of it if I'm being honest. Jeremiah, what are your what are your predictions? Yeah, so it'll probably change between now and then. But uh, for now, I'm going to stick with the draw. Like you said, Lou, we, we did the whole prediction thing last time. And I said four points for the two matches. It's, uh, it's mathematically impossible. So I'll <laughs> bow out and say that we get a draw. I think it'll be 1-1. I don't know who's going to score. Um, it's <laughs> it's really up in the air right now. I mean, with the way that Snotty's crossing the ball and with the way his free kicks have been coming in, it could be really anybody from the defense to the offense, but I do think we'll get a 1-1 in uh, Moyes' return against one of his old teams, and then hopefully that'll reignite him into becoming like he was as he was manager there and, and maybe do pretty well. So we'll keep it at 1-1 for now and uh, hopes that, I don't hope we can just get something out of it. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's close out this episode with some Hammers Polls questions. At Hammers Polls is the handle on Twitter. Uh, I gave my yes vote on this one, but I want to know your guys' opinion. Is it time to move on from Lanzini? Uh, Jeremiah, what do you think? Yeah, I wrote about it maybe a couple weeks ago now or maybe a month ago. I just think it is time. I think that uh, it's he's just not a fit. He It's not really even that you know his pace and ability is there, but it's just the the fact that he is not uh, he's not performing you know well when it comes to going up for 50-50 balls and he's not attacking as well as he has in the past so yeah short answer is yeah it's time for him to go Lou uh, if we were you know guaranteed to get not a replacement in but reinvest the money in other areas of the pitch like you know a deeper a deeper centre midfielder to partner Rice, then I'd I'd say yeah. But you know, if the money's just floating about in the pockets, there's not really much point. 
Fair enough. Uh, okay, uh, next question here. Lou, will come back to you. Uh, what? Uh, why do you think West Ham struggled to entice, quote, next-level players? Stadium slash training ground, board won't invest, standard of manager, or all of the above? I was literally about to say all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, despite us having this supposed world-class stadium, we're still not at that level where why would supposedly next-level players want to come to us bar us offering very high wages when you know the likes of Tottenham and Man United are also keeping an eye on the players that we're also supposedly wanted to bring in like why would they choose of uh, uh, you know us over them it wouldn't make any sense unless you are a West Ham fan so there's that and then like you say if they know anything about our owners and and how they work then that would also be a bit of a turn off that's fair enough there uh, Jeremiah thoughts yes I've, I voted on that um, about it being the, the owners of the board but I think I was just kind of on a, a board bashing uh, vengeance run at that point in time this morning but uh, yeah I think I think it is all the above and you know we are an exciting quote unquote project I think for a lot of players to see you know with the money and the value but when you dig deeper when you dig past the initial idea of what west ham seems to be with the excitement of the stadium and the money is you see the cracks that are there the cracks and that go from everywhere from just the style of i guess kind of play from now to the to the ownership to the fact that no disrespect to Moyes, but the fact that we don't have a world-class manager or one that was maybe at one point and isn't anymore and there's in there's just the whole issue between the fan base and the ownership too, that if anybody looks deeper than just a little, a couple of feet, they're going to see these issues. And so, yeah, I would have to say it's all of the above and it's, it's something that needs to be a priority as a change. Fair enough. I, I'm going with board won't invest. I think the stadium and training ground uh, are blown out of proportion by the supporters based off of where the context of where they left from. Uh, no one cared about the training ground when we were playing at Upton park but as you know, you move and the standards raise with the stadium. You want that to be matched with the uh, with the training ground as well. Uh, David Gold has come out and said that they have spent millions on the training ground, and apparently that was under Pellegrini's demand, not even request. Um, so I do believe that there's been investment there. Oh, a wood fence uh, doesn't look as fresh as you'd like it to. Awesome. Uh, people can can get really you know fired up about anything these days, but. Uh, look at the finagling with with the Fernandez deal. If West Ham offered forty million pounds for Fernandez to say, let's take a swing on a nineteen year old potential next level player and get him in the club, um, or refused to to play ball and said, listen, we're bowing out of the Fernandez deal. This is agents talking up. We're we're interested in players that want to come play in the Premier League for our team in our system, and this player doesn't have that. I would respect that message from the club, and 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 you know, I think that would be a positive, especially if they moved on to somebody. Uh, that matched that level of uh, quality there, but they try to nickel and dime 18 month loan here payment and installments here cancel out your outstanding debts with us here. Doesn't matter if your keepers already injured anyways. Uh, there's a lot going on when it comes to that, but I, I think it, it all starts and ends with the board. If West Ham paid up front fully uh, and offered, they do offer good wages, but if they continuously didn't look at wages as being an issue, uh, which is the potential news story with Yarmolenko potentially being loaned out, I think that there could be a, a different a different shape to this team. 
Uh, all of the above got 57.4%, though, with the board <laughs> second place at 34%. Um, and we'll move on to here. The, uh, the Middlesbrough boss, Jonathan Woodgate, has stated that the, quote, Randolph Medical is taking the longest he has ever known. Should West Ham pull out of this deal? Jeremiah, what do you think, yes or no? Yeah, 100%. Um, nothing against Randolph, and I love this time here. I know I said it last week. I wish he would have stayed and, and got a fair play out of that. But uh, with the medical issues with the is he injured what's going on with that and the fact that we can't seem to keep a healthy goalkeeper either yeah i think uh i think it's 100 percent you'll be back out of it lou are you backing out of this one uh by this point i don't really care anymore to be honest mm. <laughs> <laughs> no um yeah it's if it takes this long then there's obviously an issue and I think that issue is probably likely to come and bite us on the bum. You know, whether that be in the near future or distant future, I don't know. But, you know, karma always strikes with West Ham and we should probably look on to, uh, you know, any other goalkeeping targets that we may we may have. Uh, the reports came out that uh, Neil Etheridge has been not given the okay to move in January, so uh, there goes that oh, target. Jeremiah will be disappointed. <laughs> and me, and me. Oh, yeah, I, I voted the yes that they should pull out of the deal, but uh, there was a report that came out today that basically stated he could be potentially available to play this weekend. Uh, he traveled with uh, Middlesbrough today in their cup game against Tottenham, where they did lose. Uh, he wasn't on the bench or playing, but he traveled with the team. Uh, and all you know, all accounts say he's a professional and he's he's doing everything right. And he was a solid. Well, he was the best keeper in the championship last season. So um, there are a lot of upsides to this deal. And if he was injured, I think it's a no-brainer. You get him in. You don't hurt your transfer budget at all with uh, the deal behind the scenes with all the financials there and you get a quality keeper he's injured that changes things well do i think they'll back off absolutely not uh all right uh gentlemen we'll end on this one here uh question from adam underscore mc1r uh andre ayu is scoring goals in the championship for swansea would you resign him on loan till the end of the season lou are you taking andre ayu no Give me your thoughts we, on him. We can't just keep stage. going back to. Uh, <laughs> we can't just keep going back to you know players we've had. Who else are we going to sign? Gokantori. Hey, you never know. Kaleri. Yeah, I'd take Kaleri. No, I'm just Zaza. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I, think, I think I've made my point. Uh, nine goals and four assists in 25 league games this season. But again, um, a player like that, scoring like that, potentially says he found his level. Uh, Jeremiah, your thoughts? Yeah, I'll say no as well. I'll be a little bit nicer. I think you know <laughs> you're right. He did find his level, but I mean, he did. He had no K time. I think right at West Ham, it wasn't the worst of times. He did. He had some solid goals, and there's you still see the highlights come up where you know on this day and he's involved in it. I mean, so yeah, good times. But yeah, he's kind of found found his level, found where he's at, and plus he's a Swansea boy, right? Like he's played there the majority of his career. So just let him uh, stay there and keep it going. Yeah, that's fair. I'm with you guys. I said no on that one as well. Plus, we already have forwards. We don't play, so what's the point? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you guys there. It would be a, a move backwards, and I don't think it would be uh, a positive one, which I think boys can be. So, um, gentlemen, any final thoughts about West Ham? <laughs> Come on, nothing? Are we, are we nothing? We're not happy? 
it's just disappointment after i mean i'll be honest it is it's a lot of disappointment but you still love the club and you love everything yeah. there is about it and it's uh we had a we had a little yeah. buzz of you know after the t- first two wins but we got brought mm-hmm. back down to earth with the mm-hmm. you know stonking reality of var and handball rules and not yeah. signing players and you know I, i'll keep it with the uh with the typical i don't care what league we're in as long as uh West Ham's still around. We'll find a way to follow him. Yeah, well, um, I guess it's time we end this friggin' podcast <laughs> before I start crying and weeping here. Uh, guys, thanks for spending some time with me. I'm sorry that I've dragged you into a depressive funk here. Uh, let's, let's hope that there's some positivity coming on the weekend. And, as usual, until the next episode, come on you. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.